You're listening to the Cycling Podcast. Hello and joining you today, September 27th, 2023. That is 10 years exactly from the day when the controversial Lance Armstrong tweeted a single word, hallelujah, in response to what I'm going to ask my co-host guest in just a second. My name is Daniel Freeber and I'm the host, I am the one of the hosts of this episode of the Cycling Podcast. In fact, I'm going to cut short this intro right there and immediately put that start of a 10 to my co-host, the voice of cycling from Blackburn via the Balearics, Rob Hatch, lest he be tempted to Google the answer to that question. Rob, in answer to what did Lance Armstrong tweet hallelujah on September the 27th, 2013? That he'd be looking in this direction, about 10 kilometres down the coast from where I'm sat now, and saying, wow, the home of cycling's over there. That's Daniel Freeburn, well, Rob Hatch. We should preface this, we should explain this. Um, Lance Armstrong is on his annual jaunt to Mallorca, isn't he? With Apparently his, so. Um, what's the We Do annual holiday to Mallorca with Jan Ulrich and Johan Brunil, among other people. And they did post uh, an Instagram story a couple of days ago, didn't they, Rob, where they were, well, they were starting the call, uh, Donor, uh, climb that a lot of listeners will have done, will be familiar with. And they were sort of sweeping past our old front yeah. door in Bunyola, weren't they? They certainly were. I'm, I'm surprised none of them stopped to give us a knock, to be honest. No homage from the controversial Lance Armstrong. But, Rob, answer the question, please. What do you think he was tweeting that about? Hallelujah. In 2013, he was not impersonating Jeff Buckley on Stars in Their Eyes. Tonight, Matthew, I'm going to be Jeff Buckley. was not 2013. He he was not uh, exclaiming hallelujah in response to the cycling podcast launching, which it did in 2013. wasn't in response to a British player finally winning Wimbledon. That also happened in 2013. Wasn't the birth of Prince George, first born of William and Catherine, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge? What was it? I think I'm stumped. Absolutely stumped. It was Brian Cookson succeeding Pat McQuaid at the helm of the UCI. Oh dear. Seemed like a size fellow Lancastrian. What did he think was going to happen? Well, it seemed like a bit of a seismic shift for the sport at the time. Uh, whether, I, whether it turned out to be that is a matter of opinion, Rob. Um, over the last few days, we've perhaps seen the outline of another seismic shift in the sport with the Dutch outlet Vila Flitz. The first to report the respective bosses of Jumbo Visma and Sudar Quickstep, that is Richard Plugger and Patrick Lefebvre, working on a merger or a fusion. Do you use that word in English? Fusion for two companies? I don't think you do, do you? It's a merger. Cuisine, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, that topic, that bombshell, is going to be the main topic, in fact, of today's podcast. Um, first, I should say that Lionel Bernie, my usual co-pilot, was due to join us today. Um, he had to abort due to unforeseen circumstances at the last minute. Uh, nothing for the listeners to worry about, so nothing too serious. Um, no need to send flowers and grapes to Lionel's bedside. Um, just a, a bit of a technical hitch this morning. So, Rob, it's just you and I in, or you and me, sorry, in the hot seat this morning. The hot seats, the super caliente seats this morning. Um, we're going to start, we're going to get on to the Jumbo Visma fusion with Sudal Quickstep that's, well, rumour that's gathering steam, a story that's gathering steam, and um, we'll hear a lot more about that later on in the episode. But first, we're going to have 
uh, a restyled, slightly reconfigured, slightly abridged news roundup this week, Rob. We, I, going to endeavour to rattle through it. Um, Should I put the stopwatch on? Yes. We're going to start, Rob, with a, a very bitter, but also, I suppose, in some ways, very sweet news item, also involving Jumbo Visma. It is Nathan van Hooydonk. Uh, having to abruptly end his professional career at the age of 27, having fallen unconscious at the wheel of his car in Belgium a couple of weeks ago. Uh, tests, subsequent tests have revealed that Van Hooydonk had a heart muscle anomaly or has a heart muscle anomaly requiring that he be fitted with an internal defibrillator. So that part is very bitter, obviously. Van Hooydonk, of course, was part of Jonas Vingegaard's winning Tour de France team just a few weeks ago. But there has been some balm, some levity in recent days with the news that Van Hooydonk has become a father for the first time of a baby boy named Alessio. Uh, Rob, we're trying to be brief, but this is very sad news and uh, comes at a time. Well, it came. I was there at the Vuelta España, of course, on the morning when uh, Nathan Van Hooydonk had his accident and... This sort of punctured the mood at the time, the mood of a team that was converging on history being made and that historic achievement they they finally did well realize just a couple of days later with the clean sweep of the Vuelta podium and the clean sweep of the Grand Tours. Yeah, I mean that there's great news in that he's come home, he's well. That's the most important thing and of course congratulations to him and his young expanding family on the arrival of Alessio but of course I mean contrasting emotions, difficult emotions and I can't even imagine the sort of mix of things he's feeling at the minute. So uh, all the best to Nata for Hoidonk. And um, thankfully, in terms of his health, all's well that, that ends well for now. Just before we move on, Rob, incidentally, another rider, this has um, garnered slightly less attention, but the Cofidis rider, Wesley Kreider, Dutch rider, um, he is recovering from suffering cardiac arrest in August. Um, I believe... Well, he's back on his bike, isn't he? And he will, it seems as though he will be able to resume his career, um, which is certainly good news for him. But these are always, well, they're, they're alarming developments when they do happen. And, um, you know, of course, last year we saw Sonny Colbarelli, uh, his um, cardiac arrest that he suffered at the Volta Catalunya. And he's another one who's been forced to curtail his professional career he actually he tweeted his support to not tweeted he posted i think on instagram at length um, about how difficult this is going to be for van hoydonk and well certainly offered his solidarity his support rob racing news last week we had the european championships the men's tt was won rather sensationally by a teenager a british teenager josh tarling with stefan bisseger taking silver and Wout van Aert bronze, proceeding somewhat overshadowed by Stefan Kung's pretty grisly crash in some barriers in the closing kilometres. Another Swiss rider, Marlon Reusser, won the women's TT gold with Anna Henderson second and Christina Schweinberger third. Then in the road races, it was Christophe Laporte taking the men's gold ahead of his two Jumbo Visma trade teammates, Van Aert and Koy. And Misha Predevolt uh, triumphing in the women's race ahead of countrywoman Lorena Vibus and Lotta Kopecki. The next most important race of the weekend, Rob, I would say, was the Tour of Luxembourg. And you happen to be commentating. Do you remember what happened? And can you tell us, Rob, please? Yeah, five stages around Luxembourg. Victories for Corbin Strong and Jenta Biedermann's into pretty 
regulation stages, conservatively ridden stages, strange for this modern era of cycling. But then Ben Healy did a Ben Healy on the Wednesday, won the big difficult stage to Vyondon Castle and took the yellow jersey, but he'd lose it the day after giving it away in the time trial to Mark Hirschi. Victor Kampanach would win that time trial, his first time trial win for, I think, four seasons, which is quite a long time for him now. He's been concentrating on other things from breakaways and what have you and our records. And then the final stage was won by the Norwegian Tobias Holland Johansson. And Mark Hirschi held on to the yellow jersey to win just his second ever GC stage race. Rob, can I ask you a question about Campanas? I was a little bit off the radar last week, certainly as far as the Tour of Luxembourg was concerned. Did he say anything in response to that win to the effect that he has what's decided to refocus on time trials? Not particularly. He'd focused on this one, maybe because he knew that it was the time of year he could afford to do that. He'd had some pretty nasty personal news as well. He'd lost an uncle during the week, but so that was sort of the, the emotional push for him to, to go out and really give everything for the win. But he had been working on time trialing for this specific stage for quite a while, probably because I think he knew that the field was going to suit him as well. A couple more races to fill you in on as the road season continues to wind down. Paris Chauny was won by Jasper Philipson at the weekend. That was his 14th victory of the season. And this week, there are another couple of fairly noteworthy stage races. Um, they're underway in Croatia and Malaysia. The Crow Race and the Tour of Lankawi, respectively. We've seen early wins for Elia Viviani in Croatia. And in Lankawi, Arvid decline Gleb. Siritsa, George Jackson, Daniel Barbour, and Simon Carr. Simon Carr winning, I think it's the sort of Queen stage in Langkawi in the last few hours. Just finally, Rob, amid the maelstrom of merger talks and other speculation about transfers, and GCN have reported that Luke Plapp could leave Ineos Grenadiers for Jaco Alula a year before the end of his contract. Plapp is still just 22. He's had a pretty unhappy season after a promising start with a second place on GC in the UAE Tour back in February. Surprised, I'm slightly surprised, not surprised by this um, as well, Rob, because he has had a, a pretty opaque year. I think he's had some physical problems in, throughout the summer. And um, yeah, it looks as though he would like a, a sort of new start at Jaco Alula. And a team as an Australian with a young Australian talent where he knows he's going to get the full support as well. And, you know, we've talked about this many times, haven't we, with, with Ineos before Sky down the years. Um, it's not easy. It's almost impossible to support all the talents that they have. Jumbo Visma, uh, you know, a destination for many. Jake Lula, where he's going, you know, they'll put their weight behind him. And if he is going to, I guess, try and achieve what I assume he wants to achieve, it's probably the best place for it to take that next step. That's said PK, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind me to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Incogni. Incogni is from NordVPN. Now, NordVPN keeps all of your data safe and secure when you're browsing the internet. Incogni has a slightly different function, and it's to look after your data and make sure that you're not the victim of a data breach. And they do that by requesting that your data be removed from company databases on your behalf. Now, companies store people's information for all sorts of reasons, but you may not want it to be stored and then sold on to other companies. And Incogni can help you. 
with just a few easy clicks of the mouse. If you wanted to do this by yourself, it would basically be a never-ending task. You'd have to be contacting. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. Well, Rob, before the break, that was the news roundup. That was the new abridged, relatively abridged, uh, relatively brief, concise, I hope, news roundup. How did we do? I think all right. I think all right. You set the early time. Bit shorter, bit shorter than usual. Uh, Rob, uh, one of the reasons to have a shorter news roundup this week was to devote more time to the main issue of the week, the main news story. One of the biggest news stories I can remember um, in recent memory. It broke... Rob on Sunday night and well it was broken by a Dutch outlet Dutch website a Wheeler Flitz and it was I can tell you exactly when it was it was 29 minutes past six on Sunday night that's Central European time they published a story the headline in English was Jumbo Visma working on a merger with Sudal Quickstep story was written by Raymond Kirkhoffs whose credentials I can tell you haven't worked alongside Raymond for many years in press rooms. His credentials are impeccable. I think Raymond did his first Tour de France when he was 16 years old. Um, I did mine when I was 20, but yeah, Raymond, I think, has the prize for the youngest ever Tour de France journalist. Um, But Rob, what a story. And you'll hear me a minute talking to Raymond and referring to other bombshells of this nature. And I was casting back searching sort of rummaging around in my memory for stories of a similar magnitude similar shock value the best i could come up with was was the announcement by the controversial lance armstrong that he was returning to racing in 2008 can you think of any no i was sat on my sofa on sunday evening after finishing tour of luxembourg just watching the football actually and, you know, the messages start to come in, don't you? And, and I'm glad you mentioned Raymond's name there because it, had it not been somebody with his reputation who'd penned this, I'd have probably put the phone straight down and thought, oh, that's a load of rubbish, just because these are two huge teams who've been big rivals. And I would not have believed it otherwise. Yes, we've had mergers before with respect to those mergers. They didn't come out the blue like this. They aren't going to be big rivals like this. Um, And in terms of general cycling story, aside from, you know, so-and-so's won this and what a result it was for this, or that's a, you know, a sad story because something's happened in terms of just unexpected out of nowhere. This is right up there for me. It did come completely out of nowhere. Although one of the curious things about this story is that we have had a sort of background noise, mood music over the last few weeks of mergers, of a merger, multiple mergers, possibly coming to fruition. But, 
the rumours did not centre on the these two teams. Um, the main rumour, in fact, well, it has been to do with Ineos Grenadiers. Um, and Ineos Grenadiers, Sudar Quickstep, Ineos Grenadiers and Movistar, that's been mooted as well. Rob, I'm just going to read the first paragraph of the story and then we're going to hear from the journalist himself who broke the story, Raymond Kirkos. The first paragraph of the story reads as follows. It is the biggest secret in cycling that has unfolded in recent months. As early as mid-July, Jumbo Visma and Sudar Quickstep have been in talks to form a merger by 2024 or to merge um, several sources confirm this to Wheeler Flitz. Richard Plugger, he is the current Jumbo Visma managing director, I think his title is. He will become the team's CEO. Marine Zayman will become head coach. Patrick Lefebvre will become a member of the team's supervisory board. According to insiders, it is only a matter of time before this spectacular and surprising merger is finalised. That was Sunday. We're now midway through the week it's Wednesday we've heard nothing really Rob to dissuade us to make us think that this was incorrect reporting that it was based on thin gruel if anything um, a bit more meat has been added to this rumor to this story over the last couple of days I haven't seen anyone that's really ruling this out outright Patrick Lefebvre has has sort of given a, a no comment, a knowing no comment. Um, Jumbo Visma aren't commenting on it publicly, which in itself is quite telling. Yeah. So, Rob, they 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 seem to be one of the teams who react to almost everything PR wise. That statement from Jumbo Visma true. for me told me quite a lot. That's when I started to believe it as well. Adding the, the, the reputation of the journalist to the tone of that no comment, started to think, oh, hang on a minute, you know, this could be happening. So Rob, before we, well, I mentioned meat on the bone, before we throw the, the meat on the barbecue ourselves, um, shall we hear from Raymond Kirkovs, as I said, the journalist who broke the story, and he's going to tell us a little bit more about how he came to know about this mooted merger and um, well how it might play out so here's Raymond in conversation with me yesterday on Tuesday yeah, it started a few weeks ago when I saw a story in Headlights uh, News, a Belgian newspaper. They had a rumor that uh, Richard Lugger was a candidate to become uh, GM, the new GM of Sudo Quickstep. And it was just, just a phrase in a, in a story. But I started to think, how can this be true? And then I start uh, to phone with some people. In the last days of the Vuelta, Richard Lugger, he also gave an interview to other Belgian media. And he said he really wanted to work... Uh, with Remco Evenepoel then I really started directly questions to some people and uh, I uh, I had some uh, contacts with uh, wider agents and then it started the rumor that that I was really going on something between Jumbo and uh, Sudal Quickstep and uh, I found somebody who, who wanted to talk about it. That's interesting because those sort of murmurs that you heard the first one Plugger being linked to the position at um, Sudo Quickstep, they didn't really get much airplay um, beyond the Dutch-speaking media. No one really 
picked up on those already back then i guess it would have it would have sounded quite strange to some people you know um they would see jumbo visma as the big fish in this and sudar quickstep being a team that okay has had you know it's got this great heritage and amazing results but we've had this sort of constant over the last few years this constant background noise of Lefebvre sort of pleading poverty and saying that his team you know needs more financial backing so they would have almost the other way around would have made more sense yeah, but I think that it it, it really uh, sounded really strange, and I think therefore nobody uh, had attention for it. Mm. And I think everybody still was believing what is going on between Ineos and uh, Sudo Quickstep, because you see that the squad of uh, Ineos still has uh, 19 riders, I believe, at this moment. The dance around uh, Remco Evenepoel is still going on. So I think everybody was focused on a merger in that way. If you saw to the Jumbo Visma, they had 27 uh, riders. Doesn't sound logical and even now uh, when they uh, when everybody has their sources and knows that this is going on that they are really and uh, talking on a serious way and it's really an option for both of the teams uh, to go together it still sounds really strange Raymond from your point of view and the, I guess this is the question that everyone's asking what are the respective motivations before you start I'll just say what on the face of it what would seem to me the most obvious motivations incentives one is Patrick Lefebvre is what was he 67 68 again he's made these noises going back over three or four years even longer about wanting to sort of take a step back so you could well imagine that if, you know that's an option for him and that's a motivation for him and Jumbo's side I can only really think of well the main thing I can think of is um, Sudal's contract with Lefebvre which I believe or with that team which I believe expires in 2027 someone told me yesterday that it's not worth as much as people might imagine that it's worth sort of single figures of millions per year now maybe if they joined up with Jumbo and they had Wout van Aert and others on their team they would invest more but those are the two main motivations as I see it and it's quite difficult especially on the Jumbo side especially on Plugger and Jumbo side to understand what the motive, the main motivation here might be. I think uh, when you look to the, the, the first thing, it's it's a financial uh, thing. It was, I think, around the Dwarst of Landres in the week before the Tour of Landres that we first heard that uh, Jumbo is going to stop. Always said that they're going to pay also for the season uh, 2024. But I saw two weeks ago when uh, the ice skating team uh, divorced with the cycling team, then uh, Jumbo Super markets say that they are going to stay for three years a founding partner of the Jumbo's uh, cycling team. In my option, this means that Jumbo doesn't pay the real, the full amount uh, for 2024 to the cycling team, but is uh, sharing that in three, in the common three years. And what we don't must forget is that Jumbo brought in uh, a lot of uh, partners uh, of their supermarkets as co-sponsors in the team. And then I look to Heineken, Unilever, uh, Campina, uh, Gorillas, Hema. And I think when you count those uh, amounts, then you are around 10 million euro. When Jumbo is not anymore the main sponsor of the team, I don't see why all those partners uh, should stay at the, as a co-sponsor at the cycling team. So I, I think they really need money already for 2024. In March, they were really, really uh, sure that they would find in, 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 in a few months a, a new sponsor. But that way to find a sponsor in cycling seems to be very difficult. That's that's really uh, a really uh, understatement. Uh, you see, it's, it's, it's incredible 
difficult to find companies who will pay 15 to mm. 25 million euros for a cycling team. From the Middle East, there's coming more and more uh, money in cycling, and that means that the wages of uh, the top riders are becoming higher and higher. Because uh, I spoke with somebody from Jaiko Alula, and they said that some of the people from Saudi Arabia came to visit uh, the Tour de France in Paris, and the only thing they asked at uh, Brand Copeland is, how much does it cost for us uh, to win the Tour de France? I think it's a dance around four or five riders uh, who can win the Tour de France, and those riders make uh, the expenses for, for, for the teams who really want to go for, for the win in the Tour de France really, really high. In my opinion, we are, we are just at the start. If you see what happens in soccer, Mm. Uh, how much money from the Middle East is going to the soccer. Uh, it, it's really a changement. And, and, and cycling is still very, very, very cheap uh, for them. Eh? Just lay out for us what you think, what you suspect is going to uh, happen now in the next three or four months. Uh, come January the 1st, maybe 2024, what's the situation going to look like with Sudal Quickstep, let's say with Remco Avenepoel, with Jumbo Visma. I know that they are talking and that it's really serious and that from both sides, they really want that this is going to succeed. It's impossible to keep all those good riders. That's that's really uh, clear. I think Primoz uh, Roglic uh, will be the first who will quit. We heard already rumors uh, during the Vuelta España that he talked with Movistar, that he talked with Bahrain. There's, there's going to happen something that I'm really sure. Then it's waiting what Remco Evenepoel is going to do. Maybe this is for him the possibility to leave uh, the team without uh, a fee uh, and go to uh, Ineos. I think that's also the thing Ineos has waited for for a couple of months. If you see that they only have, uh, I believe, 19 riders at this moment on the contract. Hey, really, and I know that uh, Jim Radcliffe really wants to have a rider who is a candidate uh, to win the Tour de France. And Remco is one of the five who, who is possible can do that. I think some riders, Julian Alaphilippe, can go to... to I think almost every French, French team, team yeah. they want him. Then what's going to happen with, with the second uh, World Tour license? Uh, I think that the Swiss team Studer of Cool uh, 36.5, they are really interested in it. Also Israel. But how many riders can they also take over? So there are really a lot of questions and I think there are really a lot of difficulties they still have to take. But if if you look to a person like uh, Zdenek Bakala, how many mergers did he do in his life? eh? Yeah. Much, much bigger than... uh, than uh, uh, bringing together two cycling teams. Well, Roman, even he, even Patrick Patrick Lefevre is pretty experienced with cycling team mergers as well in various different forms to various different extents going back to the 90s. You know, he's he's been a part of four or five. Yeah, but we also see it with uh, Liqui Gaz and Garmin in the past. We saw it with Radio Shack and Leopard. It's nothing new in cycling. Eh? So everybody now is now saying, oh, this is really difficult. I don't believe it's so difficult. And uh, if those people really want to happen this, I think the UCI also uh, gonna uh, gonna help them. But, but what, what we are going to see is, if we look 10 years ago, it was Patrick Lefebvre, uh, were all the, the, the old uh, riders who were the bosses of the teams. But if you look now, it's Jim Radcliffe, it's Zdenek Bakala, it's a Sheikh from UAE. Mm. Those are really playing the game. It's not Mauro Giannetti anymore, <laughs> but it are, are the people one step higher. So I think cycling has become for them just like normal business and they are not afraid for a merger like this. So Rob, a lot, an awful lot there to conjure with. Um, a lot that I didn't know 
didn't realise about the story. And I don't think anyone who listened to that will be under the impression that Raymond uh, doesn't know what he's talking about, hasn't sourced this impeccably. And, well, you heard his confidence there. He believes this is going to happen, and it's going to happen soon. It's going to happen by the end of the year in time for the 2024 season. And there have been a lot of questions about that. Is that even feasible for that to happen in such short order? Well, Raymond said there, um, the likes of Zdenek Bakala are very used to um, getting the job done when it comes to things like mergers. Well, first of all, little rewind, bit of laying ground rules, if you like, laying of the situation. And just to explain, I think, Daniel, why we were all pretty incredulous when when we heard this news, you know, and struggling almost, not wanting to believe it. These are two massive teams, two of the very biggest in the world. In the last few seasons, they've been among the three teams, if you add UAE in there, with the most wins. If you rewind a little, there was a period where maybe Ineos were in there as well before UAE came up with Pogaccia. But they've always been up there since they had this reboot in the mid part of the last decade. Uh, have Jumbo Visma, Lefebvre's team, was the team with the most wins in pro cycling for what? A good part of the last decade? Even before that, they had maybe a few barren years and you go back to the mid-noughties, they were winning classics again for left, right and centre for fun, weren't they? But these teams approach things in very, very different ways. You've got the ultra-modern approach of Jumbo Visma, the more traditional Flemish approach of uh, what is now Sudal Quickstep. Not that I haven't embraced technology, but you know the way they speak to people, the, the image they give off. Um, they don't particularly express much love for each other. They're big well, rivals. Well, you say that, Rob. Um, this is something that I, I, kind of passed me by over the last few months. But Richard Plugger and Patrick Lefebvre have manifestly had enjoyed a good relationship. Um, they've mm. done a number of interviews, joint interviews with the Belgian media where they've sat down together. And it's been clear just reading back over the last couple of days, reading those interviews, they they are two gentlemen that see eye to eye. This this is a story that in the, um, the sort of pre-Tour de France fervour, a lot of people will not have um, picked up on or not have noticed. Um, Richard Plugger is now at the head, is he, do they call it the president of the uh, AIGC? CP. Yes, he was in the moves this week, wasn't he? They, yeah. they signed an agreement with the CPA. Which is the Association of Professional Teams, effectively. And when he was named uh, the head of this organisation, there was criticism and there was there was noises of discontent from a number of teams. In fact, in July, a number of teams wrote a letter of protest suggesting that he had a conflict of interest and, well, not least, his job trying to win the Tour de France with... Jumbo Visma would distract him from the important business the AIJCP needed to take care of. Those teams were Jayco, Lula Kofidis, and DSM, Bora, Alpacin, Bahrain, Antel Marche. And Movistar, a conspicuous defender of Richard Plugger, um, in that little sort of storm in the teacup was Patrick Lefebvre. Patrick Lefebvre, who himself in the past has been at the head of the AIGCP. He's um, fulfilled that role in the past. And, and that was another thing that, well, with hindsight, it, it sort of reaffirms that personally, those two gentlemen um, are on good terms. But then on the sporting side, when you're on the bike, you know, they've been big rivals, haven't they? Not always going for the same prizes, but ever so closer, you know, Sudal Quickstep have become more of a GC team, haven't they? 
Remco Evenepoel won their first big GC prize at a Grand Tour last year at the Vuelta. In the last few years, Jumbo Visma have improved in the classics, which traditionally has been Sudal Quickstep's bread and butter, hasn't it? And they've been, with Wout van Aert, starting to take away some of their success. Um, let's face it, it's Real Madrid and Barcelona, if you like, isn't it? Man United and Man City, the Lakers and the Bulls on the basketball court, even Lancashire and Yorkshire cricket clubs. I mean, can you imagine any of those other big sports teams merging I you know I can't and that's why this is such a big story and until 48 hours ago maybe until I really sat down and had a think and I couldn't see it happening and I couldn't see it being a particularly good thing for the sport I mean that's all going to come out in the wash down the line Uh, but I think it's certainly looking more and more likely and it's amazing actually in in the space of a few days where we've come from collectively in our thoughts of maybe denial to listening to Raymond there and everything suddenly as you said then looking back things start to make sense Daniel Rob just uh, another bit of background again which uh, might start to shift perspectives about how probable this is. You mentioned the incongruity of those, well, of, of two major forces in the sport joining forces. Um, it, in cycling, it isn't as usu- unusual as people may think. Just in, in the re- relatively recent past, and Patrick Lefebvre himself has been involved in a number of mergers. Um, you could call them mergers in some cases. It's been more sort of inheriting the relics of a disappearing team. Um, go back to 1995, Lefebvre was an influential direct sportif at the GB um, MG or prior to that he had been up to 1994 team and they joined forces with Mape 1995 he then left Mape a few years later he set up a team called Domo which merged with what had been TVM and that um, coalition if you like became Domo Farm Fritz that existed from 2001 2002 then in 2002 Mape um, um, Mape pulled out of the sport the the Italian chemical adhesive company pulled out of the sport and Lefebvre sort of inherited a lot of that old structure director sportifs staff and not least riders to form what isn't what became quick step what was quick step and is now essentially Sudal quick step all these years later so 20 years later um along the way in the meantime 2012 HTC uh, they well, that team folded in effect Bob Stapleton's American based team Lefebvre also inherited a lot of that team took on board the bike sponsor Specialized who they retain to this day a lot of staff who they retain to this day also a number of riders Tony Martin Gerard uh, Sialek the Valitz brothers uh, Matt Brameyer uh, Bert Grabsch Frantisek Rabon and there have been other examples, Rob. Um, Cannondale, Garmin, Cervelo, Test Team and Garmin or Slipstream. Radio Shack, Leopard, our own Brian Nygaard was involved in a big high-profile merger. That was at the end of 2011. And th- there's another one going on this winter as well. Jayco, Alula and Live Racing and on the women's side of the sports happening as well. One thing I would say to all that, yes, it does happen. And I guess it, it it's it's where it sheds cycling's economic model in in pretty shows it in pretty much the bad light that I think you know we're still all searching for a solution to that, aren't we? Collectively scratching our heads as the years go by, and you know we can't find one. What I will say, though, Daniel, is that nothing I think has happened in terms of mergers on the size of this one. This would be a this would be a massive step forward in terms of 
the degree of it, the importance. Well, step back, yes, obviously, if you look at it that sense. But in terms of, you know, trying to merge two giant entities. And, and like I said, you know, the reason I'm a reference to the other big sports teams around the world, because these are two absolute giants of recent years. Rob, there, that's the sort of outline of this story, a bit of the historical context. After a short break, we will come back and we will discuss what some of the implications on the road might be, particularly regarding riders and well, what colours they'll be wearing, who they'll be representing in 2024. The Cycling Podcast is partnered with MAP and we're very proud to be partners with MAP because they're the creators of some of the finest cycling clothing, including the Cycling Podcast jersey and range of accessories. Now, MAP takes sustainability very seriously and have been working with BlueSign for a while now. But what is BlueSign? Here's MAP's product manager, Hamish Lowe, to explain. So my name's Hamish and I'm the product manager here at MAP at our HQ in Melbourne. My role is responsible for building MAP's product roadmap and guiding the process to bringing those products to life through the development journey and handing them over to the marketing and creative team. So BlueSign is effectively an organization that works closely with brands to understand their trajectory on their paths to a more sustainable future. And one of the key areas that BlueSign focuses on is chemical integrity. That really has a greater impact on areas such as water, energy, climate, environmental and social impact as well. When we're talking about materials, chemistry generation creates a significant byproduct in the production process. And BlueSign are really focused on understanding that deeper supply network. And that really starts from the raw chemical stage of the, the chemical production companies and the process that those chemicals go through in order to actually get to a fabric mill that produces produces the materials. There's lots of stages throughout that process. It's super, super complex. And it's people probably have the perception that you have a fabric mill, everything a raw uh, material comes in, they do their finishing and everything's really straightforward. But there's lots of different stages and elements of, of contributors to building these materials. From Blue Sign standpoint, they are an amazing organization that really helped to support and consult us and guide us in terms of how we manage that supply network. Especially there's three key focuses that they're looking at. That's raw material suppliers, manufacturing facilities, and, and the safety or the social aspect within those facilities. So it's really looking at the bigger picture within the production of garments. Go to map.cc to check out the full range of clothing that MAP have on offer for on and off the bike. And crucially for cycling, they have something for every weather condition, especially important here in the UK as we finally bid farewell to summer and embrace the autumn. Won't be long before I'll be able to crack out the winter wardrobe of MAP clothing and wrap up warm for my winter rides. I've barely had any opportunity over the summer to wear my winter kit. Maybe just on one or two days have I gone out in the the full warm clothing. Uh, It's been a bit of a patchy summer here in the UK, it has to be said. But MAP has something for every weather condition. And the kit looks great as well. None more so than the new range. The Race Cut System Pro Air jersey is definitely worth checking out. If you go to map.cc, you can see it in all its glory. Well, Rob. Needless to say, of the last well, 48 hours more, um, the, the phones have been red hot. They've been super caliente. 
Um, been speaking to a lot of people. A lot, you know, what's really striking me about this, one of the most surprising things about this, and this has been reported elsewhere as well, that a lot of the what you would think would be the main players, the main protagonists, the people who are going to be most affected by such a, a move, such a merger, were completely in the dark about this. Um, I've heard some conflicting noises uh, that maybe one or two of the Jumbo Visma riders did know something at the end of the Vuelta a España. Um, I spoke to someone earlier today, was very close to a lot of the Jumbo Visma riders who well, heard about it first from someone at ASO on the last day of the Vuelta a España. And since then, so in the last, how long has it been since the end of the Vuelta? It's 10 days now. Um, there's still not been too much other information uh, that's filtered out, filtered through to the Jumbo Visma riders about what exactly is going to happen. I know Jonas Vingegaard is currently on holiday, but they are more voraciously trying to read everything that's written, um, maybe listen to everything that's being said in the hope that they will find out a bit more that way. And, you know, on the Sudal Quickstep side, who... You know, I suspect that they will be the the more nervous group of riders because Jumbo Visma, let's face it, they're well, they're about to end a record-breaking season um, in which they've performed on every terrain. Really, there isn't a an area of their team which needs surgery in terms of riders and in terms of contracts expiring and places where they're going to be left short next year. You could point at the Ardennes Classics and and say that they didn't have a, a great time there but that's a you know it's one week of the season so I think the Sudal Quickset riders will be more nervous because if there is going to be bloodletting here and we'll get onto this in a minute and whether it will effectively shrink two teams into one and that will leave 20 odd riders jobless one would think that more of the Sudal Quickset riders will be in that position than than on the Jumbo Visma side but they've been told there was a leak of uh, an internal memo that they'd been sent the Sudar Quickset riders they've been told not to discuss the matter with the media they've also been told that nothing is decided yet nothing is set in stone but discussions with a view to securing the financial future of that team Sudar Quickstep are definitely ongoing yeah I mean first of all finance is the backbone of this isn't it Daniel uh, Raymond was fantastically forensic on of that maybe this kind of a panic behind the scenes about getting the money for next season for for Jumbo Visma we know already that Patrick Lefebvre he says every year that he needs more money um, the rules of business sort of overrule things that happen on a sporting field but as you say on the sporting field on the bike as it were you've only got space for 30 riders and what do we have a list of what 50 I think that between them, there's Fifth, around 50 teams, 50 Fifth, riders. 50. I mean, there are, other, there are other questions here that muddy the waters slightly as well to do with development teams and women's teams. Um, the, the, the Quick Step have a development team. That's owned by, that's not owned by Patrick Lefebvre or Stenek Bakala, the same ownership structure that owns the World Tour team. It's owned by Kevin Holtzman, a former Quick Step rider. But um, there was a plan to absorb the women's team into the ownership structure at Quick Step, I believe. Um, Jumbo Visma, is, the women's team is owned by the same 
entity that owns the men's team i believe the same applies to their development team um there are other things to consider for example you know there's a facility that quickstep use in leuven the bacala academy which was effectively built by the founder the, the the main shareholder of that team stenek bacala as a as a facility for the team it's used for other things as well it's used for studies at the university of love and, and so on and so forth i believe but and um, there's a there's an awful lot to consider here not just those well 20 odd riders there's also a huge amount of staff i mean this is one of the the narratives uh, as well we've heard over the last few years of first Ineos and sky outperforming other teams one of the reasons they've been doing that is they've had more staff than yeah. Uh, other teams and you see that when you're at races and you hear it that they have more guys on the side of the road guys and girls handing out bottles than other teams so it's a massive number of people that are involved it is um, and to be honest of course naturally as sports fans we're going to talk about the riders and those we see on the screen but you know I think it's only normal and natural that we should dedicate at least a thought for, for those who are going to be worried right now are going to be sat at home thinking how they're going to pay the mortgage and how they're going to pay the bills next year that is the primary human concern I think you know I don't think there's any danger the likes of Jonas Vingegaard going back to work in the fish factory is there <laughs> um, but you know there are going to be a lot of people in all seriousness uh, you know office staff uh, swaniers whatever it might be who'd be worried that well you know there's too many of my kind in, in one structure already and there's going to be even less room for us if, if we have to if we have to move again, so that's where that again Rob sorry to interrupt but you would think particularly on the coaching side I mean I can you know won't necessarily name individuals I can kind of imagine I've got rough guesses about the, the sort of coaches who might be appealing to Jumbo Visma but Jumbo Visma you're talking about a team that's that's working that's functioning at a level that we've not seen before in professional cycling it's hard to imagine um, that those will be the guys that will be edged out Um, again you would think there'd be more nervousness on the Sudar quick step side with certain results and recent results are to go by, yes. Uh, although I think Sudan Quickstep have had quite, uh, well, two or three very famous and good coaches and, you know, people have been talked about um, in, the, in the last couple of years. And it all depends on the riders as well. Uh, you know, that sort of thing will follow riders because as we know, it's not quite the same sort of, you know, I have my set of people I will take to a team as it used to be but you know there will be people who are team Remco you know uh, people who work with Kespar Askren who's another of the leaders Julien Alaphilippe I know one of his riders is retiring this year Dries Devenine so that's you know somebody who who won't be thought of too much. Um, and the same in, in the other teams, you know, there'll be certain trainers, as they call them nowadays, coaches, sports directors who get on better with the leaders in, in Jumbo Visma as well. And it all, a lot of it's going to come down to who controls, I think, at the top, which of the managers. You imagine that Plug is going to continue in his job. Um, and maybe that would give the advantage with the results that Jumbo Visma have to that and you're looking more at Sudal Quickstep into oh hang on a minute what's going to happen here yeah uh, I think well we touched on it with Raymond and a lot of people have touched on it over the last three or four years and Patrick Lefebvre has said himself in numerous interviews he's made noises even when they signed the Sudal sponsorship agreement I said earlier that's going to expire at the end of 2027 Lefebvre said I won't necessarily still be team 
boss at that point when this expires 2027 so he's made a lot of noises about wanting to withdraw slightly i think brian holm who's a former um pseudo quick step direct sportive gave an interview this week in which he he said the same thing that patrick wants a smaller role so in in that sense i think the the fusion would be maybe a, a, a comfortable one and a mutually um convenient one certainly between Plugger and Lefebvre but on other scores um, that possibly won't be the case obviously you know there's been a lot of speculation about Primoz Roglic and he's been linked to various other teams Um, I saw Rob that um, Richard Plugger met Tim Cook of Apple this week and there have been some memes and some jokes the effect of you know maybe they'll be they'll become the i team the i you know the i i jumbo next year but um as far as primos roglic is concerned it might be that i might go and sign for <laughs> little trek now uh, you know what i mean we are enjoying um but i you know again sort of trying to assess over the last few hours last two or three days what this all means for primos roglic i think what is certain i can say confidently is that primoz roglic like everyone else like all the other riders has been a little bit blindsided by this or would be blindsided if it did happen um i don't think he is any he has any great say or jonas vingar has any great say in whether this well they don't have any say in whether this happens or not and they're as surprised as anyone else um would Remco Evenepoel want to ride for Jumbo Visma quite simply or would he prefer to ride for Ineos Grenadiers that's a whole other question what's happening at Ineos Grenadiers you know even in the last couple of days again uh, try to get a bit of clarity about exactly um, what they're doing as far as contract renewals are concerned and these rumours about other mergers that they may be involved in I'm getting confusing noises slightly confusing noises from from there as well the stuff definitely going on i think in your grenadiers there might be another bombshell like the one we had at the weekend regarding in grenadiers there's plenty going on at in grenadiers i think isn't there and i think we can deduce that from just the attitude of I think all of us as fans towards Ineos Grenadiers and the sport in the last 18 months, two years, just as lining up commentating, you know, the amount of grand tours that you go to and you used to it for a decade of going through the favourites in the first few stages. And this year in the grand tours, we haven't really turned up and thought, you, you know, they've got one of the massive, massive, massive favourites to win this race. You've been looking elsewhere and with a team with that budget and their resources, something's not not gone quite right there, has it? Um, you know, you could maybe put the Giro d'Italia as an exception to that. Of course, Garant Thomas put in one of the performances of his career and it turned out to be a wonderful performance. Tailgagen Hart was going well, wasn't he, leading up to the Giro d'Italia, but going to the Tour, going to the Vuelta, were they honestly in most people's thoughts to be on the podium, let alone win the thing? I'm not sure they were, to be honest, certainly neutral observers. So something's not quite going right there. And then, the biggest indicator is you get to July, 1st of August, and you're waiting for the transfer announcements, aren't you? First of all, during the tour, and you know this, certainly you're in your role on the ground, of your ear very much to the ground, Daniel, during the tour nowadays as well. 
I'm sure you weren't hearing too much about who was signing. When 1st of August came, we didn't get any chance for announcements. September's come and gone, the Welter's finished. No talk really about what's happening with Ineos Grenadiers and I think that's rather strange for a yeah. team with so many spots on their roster for next year. So whether, I mean, I don't quite know what it is that's cooking up in the background, but something is. Yeah, I mean, heard not so much about moves and transfers and commitments to sign riders, but a, a little bit about U-turns. Um, what agents thought were commitments to sign riders suddenly being withdrawn and um, going back to Jumbo Visma Rob the sponsorship situation you you touched on it or the financials um I think you know one of the most striking shocking bracing things about a story like this is that this is a team as I've said many times in this podcast already this is a team that has reached a pinnacle in terms of sporting performance which we've rarely have ever seen in the sport and one would think that they there has never been a team more appealing to prospective sponsors. However, we know, you know, Yumbo, the Yumbo company, which is privately owned um, by a Dutch family, um, they, there are some sort of specific, curious, um, exceptional circumstances that have, well, befallen that family in the last um, couple of years. The founder of Yumbo Supermarkets died at the end of last year there's been some other sort of drama in the family i don't know enough about you know the the financials of that company um to talk to that but um it could be that these exceptional circumstances have, have influenced their decision i'm sure they have in fact and um, there have been other issues with sponsors with Jumbo Visma sub-sponsors the Gorillas the German delivery company there was a story in June um, about a budget shortfall at Jumbo Visma because Gorillas um, hadn't paid hadn't honoured their sponsorship arrears up until that point. Gorillas have been in the German press all summer about well, the problems they've been facing, um, s- suppliers' delays, um, debts that they may have with various suppliers. So, you know, that's all slightly opaque as well. Raymond mentioned the other sub-sponsors at Jumbo Visma, um, Hamer, Unilever, so on and so forth, which he sort of suggested had been recruited by Yumbo, and if all of this is true, then it doesn't leave an, an awful lot on the table. Um, Rob, what we thought might happen, nonetheless, was that in the coming weeks, coming months, at some point, Richard Plugger would unveil, announce that his search for a new sponsor had been successful, again, given the team's success. In fact, I think it's probably worth, at this point, replaying a conversation that I and a few other reporters had with him in the last week of the Vuelta about precisely that. Now, bear in mind, hold that in in mind, the timing of, of that conversation. Midway through the last week of the Vuelta, this is what he said about his search for a sponsor at that point. Uh, we are here to stay and uh, you know we have a plan until uh, 2030 and uh, no worries uh, yeah, yeah we, we will be here and uh, we, tr- we will uh, try to, uh, to maintain this, uh, this position however we have other teams who will, uh, who will fight it of course but no worries on that side uh, we, will, uh, we will go further yeah, yeah we, we have a good plan and uh, you know we want to yeah, like I said we want to move on and uh, be bigger maybe even or uh, be stronger but 
Yeah, it's a, it's a long-term strategy we have here. Yeah. Sponsors are wel welcome, so if a sponsor would like to, uh, to join us, well, please be welcome. Uh, and I think uh, especially the American market is also at the moment very interested. Um, you know, we have we have some uh, some in place, and uh, there's no uh, how do you say that? No worries. But no, no new replacement for Yumba as of now. I will I will tell you when we know it. The cycling podcast is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you to Science in Sport for supporting the cycling podcast for the past seven seasons. They are world leaders in sports nutrition and their energy drinks and fuel are used by the very best in the world tour, including our record breakers and grand tour winners, right down to the likes of me. Although I should probably clarify, I'm not in the world tour, but I am someone who wants to avoid the dreaded empty feeling mid-ride and know that they're staying well fueled and hydrated without having to eat loads. Science and Sport have just the product for you. It's the Beta Fuel, which was really a game changer when it came along five years ago. And recently, they've tweaked the recipe, meaning that carbohydrate can be delivered in larger quantities and more efficiently than ever before. They've tested it on athletes recently. A study in which they fed athletes 120 grams of Beta Fuel an hour, which is 30 grams more than the previously recommended amount. And what they found was that even after three hours of sustained effort, half of the energy used was from science in sport beta fuel rather than from the body's own fuel stores. Athletes were using 1.5 grams of carbohydrate per minute, some of the highest rates of carbohydrate oxidation ever reported. And crucially, they had no upset stomach. They were able to sustain high performance intensity with lower perceived effort, which, after all, is what we're all looking for, isn't it? You can read all about this on the website, scienceinsport.com, and shop the whole range of Science in Sport products. They have everything for before, during, and after your ride. So go to scienceinsport.com. It was interesting him there mentioning the United States. I don't know whether that was simply because Sepkus was sort of zeroing in on Vuelta España victory, and I don't know whether it was mainly a sort of... Uh, a siren call to any prospective US sponsors. I don't know whether he was anticipating his meeting with Tim Cook, um, but I don't know. It's very, it's always very difficult to read between the lines of some of these interviews that, well, whether it's riders or team bosses give, they obviously, um, it's not in their interest to to be completely transparent. And I suppose he wasn't being completely transparent there. Um, midway through the last week of the Welter, that was certainly, if we if we look at the timeline given to us by Raymond, and um, that's been reported this week, that was certainly a point at which these conversations with Patrick Lefebvre had started and were, well, were well on their way. Yeah, it could have even been a case of, you know, the sort of comedy, oh, look over there and I'm going to run over here sort of thing, couldn't it? A smokescreen. Who knows? But, you know, there might be something in the in the US link and maybe, you know, it's only prudent to look at several possibilities, isn't it? You know, why would you put all your eggs in one basket when nothing is certain at the minute? But listening to Raymond, as you were saying, when you hear about the finances, when you learn that Yumbo Visma bought all, sorry, Yumbo rather, bought all of those different sponsors on board, then you suddenly start to really believe in the story. Again, I said, I think most of us started this week with quite a bit of scepticism when we saw the news, like, ah, really? Come on, never, can't happen. But when you listen to those considered opinions and, and the real reasoning behind it, it, it does start to make a lot 
a lot of sense, certainly in this sort of age of globalization where, you know, even think of how many teams there are in the Benelux at that level as well, fighting for local sponsors. I know Jumbo said they're looking elsewhere and looking all over, but, you know, in this age of global economic downturn um, and globalization in, in cycling, where you've got teams from coming from all sorts of different parts of the world now, are they not too many teams for the market in Benelux? I know it's a different market because it's the cycling homeland and, and it's not necessarily my opinion this, but it's something maybe that we should consider. Um, but again, market forces and, and money is going to overrule anything that people just want to do. You know, we can all sit down and have a fantasy team. So this is how we'd like to have. These are the right. But reality hits you in the face, doesn't it? And the present reality, Rob, the elephant in the room, but not so much elephant in the room because it's something that people are talking about and have acknowledged, is the influence of, well, Gulf states, um, oligarchs, this sort of new model that we've seen emerge in the last 10, 15 years in professional cycling. And it's it's certainly not exclusive sport. to... Well, exactly. It's not exclusive to professional cycling. This applies to um, other sports. It's interesting in a week when the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, um, MBS, gave an interview in which he said, he, well, he didn't really care if Saudi Arabia's investment in sport was seen as greenwashing or called greenwashing. They were going to continue with it. Um, it's interesting that this story breaks then because one of the sort of unspoken certainly by Richard Plugger and Patrick Lefebvre until now motivations for this merger could be the threat of or the difficulty of competing with forces like for example the UAE team they're not the only team in professional cycling funded by um, an oligarch or a nation state in their case Um, and the only way to compete is to do well, the unthinkable and join or fuse two other major superpowers that whose funding until now has been more traditional. Um, and, you know, certainly the way Patrick Lefebvre has gone about looking for sponsors, gone about recruiting sponsors, keeping sponsors has been quite, I suppose, in inverted commas, old school. Yeah, I mean, where do you start with this? <laughs> this is a minefield, isn't it, Daniel? And one that I'm sure that we'll talk about as this story develops over the next few weeks and months. Um, and, and it's something, as you said, that's been around in professional sport the last 10, 15 years. Um, there's all sorts of different views and different uh, different ways you know directions in which you can approach this there's you know people say oh hang on a minute is this not just the rest of the world coming in but there are different economic conditions aren't there you know uh, there are different economic conditions Daniel even within the more traditional states and people from outside the traditional states around the world might actually say oh hang on a minute you know you Europeans don't have the monopoly on being able to have cycling teams you know that's one other way we could look at it but in terms of economics Let's say we've got a Dutch team, a Belgian team, a British team and a team from somewhere else. In each of those countries, a section of your budget is going to be very different what you spend on national insurance, how you employ people, um, economic and company law in those countries, what you have to might do to publish your accounts, what you have to pay to. There's all sorts of different laws within different countries. So that already makes it very, very difficult to say that everyone's on a completely level playing field anyway. But yes, I agree that the, the Gulf states in particular are changing the playing field and making it much more difficult. I mean, whatever your view on that is, the facts are there. You can't you can't deny that that is a difference, isn't it? Um, so I can understand why they're looking for different ways to compete. And 
you know, there's a school of thought, as you alluded to there, Daniel, that they might have been forced into this once the money runs out from the traditional sponsor. Yeah, and it's it's almost ironic in a way that a week or two after Vuelta a España, which saw people calling again for a salary cap um, and for a salary cap to be applied to teams like Jumbo Visma. Again, Jumbo Visma, who, a, a team whose sponsorship model is more traditional, that the same team um, is now possibly resorting to this kind of desperate measure in an effort to compete with as we said other other forces who have completely different models i mean that zooming out again a bit more and looking at things in a kind of a more macro sense uh, if this merger does happen and and we are told that this is essentially the reason why it had to happen in the view of richard plugger and patrick lefebvre to compete with the likes of um, uae um uh, the, the salary cap conversation will probably possibly come to the fore uh, again, and I think this is something the American, USA-based sort of watchers, commentators, fans of sport are much more familiar with, obviously, because it's something that applies in their sports. It it, it can, to a European, it can look very appealing in a lot of ways. Um, and sometimes it's quite difficult to see the downsides of that. It, it does have downsides. It has downsides in the same way that all kind of closed shop type sporting leagues um for example formula one and the american leagues nfl and they have downsides as well but it it is a conversation that i think people will have more and more over the next few years people will have it um i mean i again i happen is it no i I sit from a i've never been into these sort of american closed shop leagues I, I, I really struggle to become emotionally invested in it it's not to say that on the other hand I'm emotionally invested in a supermarket sponsor or anything like that I just don't think it's necessarily the solution to to the problem we have and I know there are people you know team owners certain team owners who are very vocal about this who really really put their weight behind this idea but let's face it Rob if we were talking about supermarkets let's take supermarkets as we're talking about Yumbo and we were talking about a supermarket which let's say how much how much market share in terms of big bike races in the world has Jumbo Visma had this year they probably had 60% Sudal Quickset might have had 10% this probably is a merger would be a merger that wouldn't pass antitrust the competition commission no yeah. in well in the uk and in other countries would it and certainly in within the european union as well where there are very very strict laws about that sort of thing um yeah it's different sport is different and you know again i don't profess to really have any answers but i know and i get the feeling that closing the shop protectionism isn't the answer it just doesn't feel right and and i think if you're trying to get people to become emotionally involved with something it, it's not the way there has to be some sort of story and there has to be a way for somebody the little person for you and i to start a cycling podcast team and have that dream of one day becoming a world team you know what what used to be, be called a world signing. tour team <laughs> well you know it's like picking a fantasy team and and of course you know, we're laughing about it now, but that's essentially the the job that's going to happen if this merger happens, isn't it? Because um, we've talked about why it's happening, you know, possibly, and, you know, the probability, it seems now when you listen to the people and Raymond and people involved um, close to the story, what happens now in practical terms, Daniel? Because you've got that first thing up on high, 
let's uh, talk about the ride. It's going to be like picking a fantasy team, isn't it? But with the difference that, you know, you're not picking up the newspaper on a Saturday and saying, oh, that's a million pound for Alan Shearer. That's another five million pound for so-and-so, so-and-so. Oh, I've only got 20 million to spend. This is about getting people, humans, winning cultures to continue everybody to join in real life and to get on it's such a difficult job to be done in practice obviously on paper we can all sit there and say oh well of course you know people like Lompart and Askren they're going to be first names on the team sheet when it comes to the classics to support you know Wout van Aert and people like that next year um, who knows you know and you can pick up any name who knows what's going to happen with that and how it what happens behind the scenes so keeping that winning culture a lot of changes on and off the bike and then the knock-on effect as well Daniel there are currently 18 of these world teams which is what the UCI in their infinite wisdom seems to have uh, called what we I think still in our heads have world tour teams so you know who's going to take world team status because there would then be 17 and a supposedly it's an 18 team league isn't it that the world tour at the minute and so somebody's going to be it's not a year of promotion you know we were just joking and talking about you know having that need to be able to grow and if you're a small team have the ambition to be in a league not for it not to be a closed shop. Um, but the next promotion and relegation isn't for another two seasons' time, isn't it? So, you know, what would that mean? You have a, a pro team... Go on. I had a text, Rob, from on Sunday night from Unirex's um, CEO, Jens Haugland. He said, I'll take the Norwegians. <laughs> if they want to get rid of some Norwegians, there are a couple of very promising Norwegians at Jumbo Visma. And um, yeah, he will gladly welcome them. <laughs> but um, yeah, they're a team, aren't they? Um, and he's he said that they only want to step up if... They fulfil the sporting criteria and there are other teams ahead of them in the, the line, but they're certainly interested. Yeah, so a pro team would likely move to the World Tour. Um, so, you know, again, how does that happen? Normally, as you just alluded to, it's going to be on sporting merit. And that was the idea, wasn't it? When promotion relegation was brought in every three seasons, um, which is still something that's a bit difficult to get our heads around. But at least, you know, we've gone half the step to getting it. Um, but that's not due to be another two seasons. Who takes it? And then, you know, if a team is given it by the UCI that another team on sporting merit doesn't feel they're there, can they then challenge that? It just opens up another lot of questions and, and doubts for the winter, doesn't it? Um, what do you think we're going to be faced with on January the 1st? What do you think um, is going to happen? Um, I'll go first. I, th- I think Primoz Roglic is going to leave. Um, I didn't think that until a few days ago. But with these very strong rumours, a situation that looks as though, as I say, it's going to happen come to fruition I think Roglic will leave I think it creates a perfect opportunity for him to leave you know I suppose to uh, I've been speaking to a few agents and they were talking about the contractual intricacies of such a merger as well some of the con- contracts might have to be redrawn um, or re um, redacted in some cases um, and rewritten and that could create the latitude for some riders who had been very very much tied down to get out of their current arrangements. I don't know what's going to happen with Remco Avenapool. Part part of me thinks it's one of them. Roglic or Remco might well end up at Ineos. Um, and it's, yeah, it, it, it's so, the whole the whole prospect is so mind-blowing that it, it's difficult. I, I really struggle to envisage a situation where 15 riders, 20 riders who are formerly at Sudar Quickstep or Jumbo Visma are in October, and we're almost in October, trying to find deals elsewhere. 
I agree on the Primoz Roglic front completely. I think, to be honest, that was perhaps on the way to happening, even if the merger hadn't happened at it. And I think we've come to a stage, if you add Bremko Evenepoel into the mix, where next year, in the sort of calendar of people wanting to go to different races and do things, everybody wants to do the tour, Daniel. Everybody needs to do the tour. Roglic, he's won more welters than we can shake a stick at. He's got his Giro. He wants to be the leader of the tour. And the clock on his career is ticking at a faster rate than on Vingegaard and on Evenepoel's career. You could say, OK, Vingegaard, why not go and have a go at the Giro next year? Something like that. I just can't see it at the minute. When you're on that winning streak and when you're on that run in the Tour de France, it's difficult to walk away from it, isn't it? So I can't see that really changing. He also is going to be the man with first dibs I think on everything and probably quite rightly so he's just come off winning two tours to France and he was very strong wasn't he in the Vuelta España despite not really having prepared for it as he would have liked to have prepared for a Grand Tour and Bremco Evenepoel has to do the Tour de France next year he's talked about it for so long those who advise him want him to do the Tour de France next year I cannot see him however starting in a team where there's a real threat to his leadership Yes, then he might want to ride with somebody like, a, you know, a Sepp Kuss. I mean, he was already bringing a Mikel Landa, wasn't he, into Sidal Quickstep? You know, it's another one. We won't go do it now. But what happens with that contract and where does that go? Uh, but I cannot see Remco Evenepoel in the same team as Jonas Vingegaard. I really struggle with that. Not because they don't like each other. They might be best of mates off the bike. Just because their sporting objectives are going to clash massively next year. It could be that this merger happens or this absorption of another team, one team by another happens. And all of our original fears, oh, this is shocking for the sport, blah, 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 blah. And I'm, you know, when I first saw the news, I was in that camp. But maybe we won't have all the big names on the same roster. I just cannot see it happening and everybody being content. So perhaps on that front, we might get the merger. But luckily, as fans, we might see a few of the big actors and big big names separated and distributed into different teams. Sepp Kuss and Mikkel Lander leading the Wolfpack of the Tour of Flanders. You heard it here first. Um, what happens to the Wolfpack? The Wolfpack have been eaten by the Bumblebees. Rob, that's, uh, I think we've just about exhausted the subject for now. I'm sure there'll be more developments in the next few days. Uh, in the meantime, I'm going to thank you and say we will be back next week. And Lionel will be back, I'm pretty sure. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb, and Lionel Burney.